I, I was noticing something uh, today that I haven't quite noticed before. It was really fun. There, um, those of you who are the early birds, who are there in the beginning, kind of waiting before the door to open, and then people start coming. But as we got closer to the half hour, it was like this rush. Suddenly, it was happening really fast. Jessica, you, you know, suddenly that people were coming really quickly, uh, and it was fun to see that kind of. Um, I had the funny feeling of a concert where people were like <laughs> ready to go. Uh, it's a little silly, but it was fun to see everybody coming so quickly and a joy to see all of you. <clears throat> and so after what appeared digitally as a rush, uh, now we'll go really slowly and sit together for a bit, welcoming each other and welcoming ourselves welcoming the world.
I've heard from a few of you over time that our invitation to sit zazen can be maybe a little confusing or even disturbing largely because it's so spare. The invitation is to simply sit in the middle of one's life. And be aware, awake, present. And to appreciate one's life. And since Zazen is not an invitation to become engaged in some active or instrumental activity to make a change, it seems, of course, very different than what we might ordinarily think of as meditation. It's quite rare and beautiful to sit together in stillness and silence, which is respectful and at least on the outside, peaceful. And if we focus on something like our breath, it's not to create a narrative or manipulate the breath. It's simply to rest with this breathing body. Intimacy with the breath and intimacy with our embodiment. we notice areas of our body that have some sensation which is unpleasant or gets our attention, our attention might go there, our breath might go there, with a light touch, just noticing. <clears throat> There's often much to learn without trying or struggling. If we become more still and quiet and attentive, just sitting, breathing, embodied, And maybe there are narratives that happen on their own. Worries about the day, longing, 
joys, sorrows, regrets, appreciations. So many things automatically arise and pass away, unfold as a series on TV. In just sitting, we enact just that witness, just that being with what's here, rather than jumping into the narrative or jumping away from it, just noticing. And over time, this very simple sitting without too much manipulation has a remarkable transformational power. It may seem like nothing. It may seem like waiting. But you only know by participating and offering your body to the simplicity of sitting. Nothing I can say or anything you would read or hear could actually touch the depth of what's possible. We can't acknowledge that vast possibility as we chant. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature of us harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. So I guess we'll continue our theme. I say continue because so many of you have been along with us. And if you haven't, I know some of you listen to these at other times. And <clears throat> it doesn't really matter. You can jump right in. But it is, as I said uh, last week, some uh, kind of risky business, this, this practice that we're engaged in, um, using that 
image of being checkmated by practice being uh, kind of stopped, but stopped in ways that has us attend to our automatic patterns of behavior in life. Uh, and it's in contrast, this kind of practice, which I was in some ways, you know, noting in, in our sitting, is in contrast to the kind of practices which suggest that if you just practice well, there'll be some sort of consolation and you'll get some ultimate reward and it will be for you. It'll be really positive. And of course, there are wonderful things that come out of practice, but what we forget is that the whole idea of what you want actually changes. There's a joke, uh, many of you, I think, like me, because of my age, back in graduate school, I did the training in uh, TM, you know, Transcendental Meditation. And I remember on one of the uh, little PR things they had back then in the 70s, um, it said something like, you know, you meditate and do this and you, you know, you'll get what you want. Like it'll give you, give you what you want. But there was kind of like the fine print at the bottom says, because you won't want anything. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, that, it's like a little warning on the label. Yeah, you'll get what you want, but what you want will be totally different than what you thought when you started out. And this is what's risky. Um, a lot, I mean, the whole world is possible, but because so much falls away, but not in the way of a, a loss that's uh, grievous necessarily, except to those parts of you that cling, hence that, that issue. So this is kind of the part of the theme that's running through some of the things I've been speaking about uh, lately. And I hope you get the idea. Um, I'll remind you if you're not clear, you know, during these inquiries each week, I'm not really teaching Dharma in a classical way. That's not what this is about. I'm offering us an opportunity to be together, to swim in Dharma uh, so that we can learn what it's like or to fly like a bird, because that was the imagery that we had last week. Um, do you remember that those beautiful images from uh, Jill Bradley's poem for John Copeman? Uh, at the last two lines, she said, hope, a thing with feathers, compassion, a thing with parts. I love those two lines. Uh, hope as a thing with feathers, uh, as potential uh, of choice, of freedom, rising into the light. There's a, there's, a, there's a sort of rising quality in the light. And then compassion a thing with parts embodied going into the depths and the darkness of what's um, is sort of like the uh, enlightenment and darkenment aspects. Um, and curiously, sometimes in Buddhist teachings, these are called two wings of a bird, wisdom and compassion it helps us move. So there's this imagery of feathers and birds again, which I'm kind of enjoying. Uh, when Jill wrote the poem, she said um, uh, she was honoring Emily Dickinson and her her writing it because there's that famous piece. And uh, I think afterwards, uh, when we used it last time, uh, Ed Sanctia sent me a, uh, one of his beautiful images in which he had used this very thing. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without words and never stops at all. And last week I spoke about how Emily Dickinson's poem was about perseverance, constancy, commitment, and practice, using that bird in the storm as an, an image. 
so there seemed to be something rolling. And of course, what came to mind was Maya Angelou. I know why the cage bird sings. It's just one thing led to another. And so I looked that one up because I actually didn't know where she came up with the title. It comes from um, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, who was an African-American poet, um, whose work that she'd admired. And um, there's a poem that he wrote, uh, the title of it is Sympathy. And in the third stanza, these are the few lines where she, where she got the, uh, the title. I know why the caged bird sings. Ah, me, when his wing is bruised and his bosom sore, when he beats his bar and would be free. It is not a carol of joy or glee, but a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core, but a plea that upward to heaven he flings, I know why the cage bird sings. This beautiful imagery, um, this plea for freedom, it, it reminds me of, at least in Zen, we call it the inmost request or the way-seeking mind, what's called up that longs for that freedom. Even when caged, even when caught, they're singing. In the text, my Angela wrote, and, and think about this when we chant our, <clears throat> the four practice principles. She wrote, life is going to give you just what you put in it, but your whole, put your whole heart in everything you do and pray, then you can wait. Life is going to give you just what you put in it. It's going to meet you. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Put your whole heart into everything you do. And pray, practice, and then be still, wait. But it's not a kind of a waiting that's, I don't think, too passive. But anyway, it's um, these images of birds and flight and opening and going deep were all in me. So I thought, I, I want to I speak about another teaching that I've used in the past, which some of you are familiar with. And uh, it includes a poem that's in French. Um, and so I hope that Claudine might um, read it for us so we could hear it in the native. And so would you bring up Claudine? Because I wanted to say a few things first also. And she'll unmute you. Voilà. Ah, bonjour, ça va? Yeah, yeah. Very good, good, good. Um, last, week, last week you said you were going to come up, but you, but you were a little hesitant. You didn't. No. And uh, you had, uh, you said you had looked at a poem by David White that was important to you. And uh, do you want to say anything about what was moving inside of you with this one? With the poem of David White? Uh, yes. Uh -huh. Yes, I would like to say it, but uh, are you going to read these verses of David White or? Well, let me, I'm going to read the, um, just the repetitive piece. I'll read yes. it. In, I'll read it in English first, since that's yes. what we have. That's okay. And then you can make the comment while you were. Yes, please. This is from a, a poem in which he's referencing something in Scot uh, Ireland, so it has an Irish name, so I apologize. Um, it's this, you know, an interesting uh, Irish 
But in the poem, there's a repetitive piece. And that repetitive piece that Claudine brought to me was, there is a door beneath everything. We'll walk right by if we don't stop to look with our troubled hearts and a loving eye. There's a door beneath everything we'll walk right by if we don't stop to look with our troubled hearts and a loving eye. Is that the one, Claudine? Yes, exactly. Well, you may know that we have now a Swiss Sangha. It's the last little leaf of the big tree of Apamada. We are very pleased. And as three of us in this group are following Joel's precepts, uh, we, we, have, we, we take the habit of presenting a little text and speak of, of the questions and reflections about these precepts we hear with Joel. And we are now preparing, cultivating a clear mind. And I was looking for text because it was my turn to present. And I've, I have found these words of David White that um, Flint just read for you. And for me, it was each moment we try to avoid, to avoid a feeling with a glass of wine, with a film, with a novel or surfing on the internet or whatever our pleasure and distraction might be. Well, we just pass by these doors and we have the choice. We are given a choice really to pass by and lose the opportunity or to open the possibilities and stop and look. And what, what was important for, for me is that I, I was amazed by the generosity of life. I mean, I, I am 78 this year and I spent so many years passing by all these doors. And I think that each moment, the, the, the famous mo present moment is, is having a door inside. It's each, each time we are living, we can go through our activity or distraction or whatever, or we can stop and look. And yeah, I'm very thankful for this generosity because I'm still alive and I have the chance to, to open some doors. Sometimes I pass, by, I pass right by, go on. Sometimes I do stop. That's why I love this poem so much. Voila. And, th and thank you for your teaching. It's so beautiful. That's why I wanted you to share it with us. And all of this called to mind um, the poem that I'm going to have uh, Claudine read in a moment, <clears throat> which is actually, I think, a, a, a fairly common poem for those who are French speakers, but I didn't know about it, um, to paint a bird's portrait by Jacques Prévert. And some of you have heard me speak about this before or do a Dharma talk about it. I'm going to do a little something different today for you, but I, I didn't know about it from literature. I knew about it because uh, Katagiri Roshi had used it in a Dharma talk um, 30 years ago. And it showed up in his book, Returning to Silence, which is a wonderful book if you don't know it, um, which is a compilation of many of his talks. And he used this poem. 
and so I used it in the first year that I was uh, teaching in Switzerland because I was looking for things that would also be in French. And um, I just thought it was really, really beautiful. And then spoke about it on the last retreat in Switzerland too, in a way that was quite, quite powerful. Um, but if you, I'll screen share um, the, the poem just so you can take a look at it. Um, but really what I want you to do is just listen to it first in the French, just because it's beautiful. Um, and uh, we'll we'll go from there. Uh, D'accord, Claudine? Okay, and I had to add the last lines because in French they were missing. I don't know why. Okay. What's missing? The last lines. Oh, the last line. Well, let me make sure that I have it correct. But I, I have the, I have them there. I sent you a mail, but maybe you didn't see it yet. Okay, let me take a look. Because um, sometimes when I copy these things. <clears throat> you have it in, in the English version. Um, when you take a feather of the bird in order to sign the, the picture. Uh, and do you have the full text? Yes, I have. Okay, so I'll let you um, read it. And if it's the, instead of trying to uh, change it here, um, I'll just let you read it, and then uh, knowing that uh, I'll uh, repair it when it comes time to share it for the um, online. OK. Peindre d'abord une cage, avec une porte ouverte. Peindre ensuite quelque chose de joli, quelque chose de simple, quelque chose de beau, quelque chose d'utile pour l'oiseau. Placer ensuite la toile contre un arbre, dans un jardin, dans un bois ou dans une forêt, se cacher derrière l'arbre sans rien dire, sans bouger. Parfois l'oiseau arrive vite, mais il peut aussi bien mettre de longues années avant de se décider. Ne pas se décourager, attendre. Attendre s'il le faut pendant des années, la vitesse ou la lenteur de l'arrivée de l'oiseau n'ayant aucun rapport avec la réussite du tableau. Quand l'oiseau arrive, s'il arrive, observez le plus profond silence. Attendre que l'oiseau entre dans la cage et quand il est entré, fermez doucement la porte avec le pinceau. Puis, Effacez un à un tous les barreaux en ayant soin de ne toucher aucune des plumes de l'oiseau. Faire ensuite le portrait de l'arbre en choisissant la plus belle de ses branches pour l'oiseau. Peindre aussi le vert feuillage et la fraîcheur du vent, la poussière du soleil et le bruit des bêtes de l'herbe dans la chaleur de l'été. Et puis attendre que l'oiseau se décide à chanter. Si l'oiseau ne chante pas, c'est mauvais signe, signe que le tableau est mauvais. Mais s'il chante, c'est bon signe, signe que vous pouvez signer. Alors, vous arrachez tout doucement une des plumes de l'oiseau et vous écrivez votre nom dans un coin du tableau.
Thank you very much. It's so beautiful. I hope all of you appreciate um, my wanting her to read it in the original, just to hear the feeling that comes through. And uh, in the in the translation, <clears throat> here's uh, the English version for those of us who are not able to understand all of the French to paint a bird's portrait. First of all, paint a cage with an open door. Then paint something attractive, something simple, something beautiful, something of benefit for the bird. Put the picture on a tree, in a garden, in a wood, or in a forest. Hide behind the tree without speaking, without moving. Sometimes the bird arrives quickly, but sometimes it may take years before deciding. Don't be discouraged. Wait. Wait for years if necessary. The rapidity or the slowness of the arrival of the bird doesn't have any relationship with the result of the picture. When the bird comes, if it comes, observe the most profound silence. Wait until the bird enters the cage. And when it has entered, close the door softly with a brush. Then erase all the bars one by one, taking care not to touch any of the bird's feathers. Then paint the portrait of the tree, choosing the most beautiful of the branches for the bird. Paint also the green foliage and the fresh wind, the sun's dust, and the noise of the beasts of the grass in the summer's heat, and then wait for the bird to start to sing. If the bird doesn't sing, it's a bad sign, a sign that the painting is not quite right. But if it sings, it's a good sign, a sign that you can sign. So very gently, you pull out one of the bird's feathers and you write your name in a corner of the painting. So I would imagine having <clears throat> a listen to the beauty of the poem itself in the original, and then those of us who require the English hearing uh, the translation, you began to see why I would think of such a poem given these recent uh, images of um, practice that, that we've been touching on. Um, in the first section, first of all, paint a cage with an open door. Just like Claudine said, we have to acknowledge these doors. And if we paint a cage with an open door and paint something attractive, something simple, something beautiful, something of benefit for the bird, it's as if we're hearing the echo of that um, that request I give is how simple are you willing to let this be? Just something simple, something beautiful in practice. And something benefit for the bird, it's, it's an offering. We're making an offering. We're acknowledging the cage with an open door. We're letting it be simple. We're making an offering. 
And then he writes, put the picture on a tree in the garden and the wood of the forest and then hide behind the tree without speaking, without moving. I love that image. Place yourself in the midst of your own life. And as we practice Zazen without speaking, without moving, this is the request. Sometimes the bird arrives quickly, but sometimes it may take long years before deciding. Don't be discouraged, wait. You know, whether dramatic openings happen or really gentle ones happen, constancy in practice, perseverance, steadiness is what's important. He writes, wait for years if necessary. And then that important line, he says, the rapidity or the slowness of the arrival of the bird doesn't have any relationship with the result of the picture. Wholehearted practice, day after day, year after year, is what's important, not perfection or grasping for results. The rapidity of the arrival of whatever awakening or insights you have doesn't have, it's not connected to the quality of your practice. Just stay steady, wholehearted. When the bird comes, it, if it comes, observe the most profound silence. Whenever a moment of awakening or insight arrives, it's in its own time. Just sit with it. Don't grasp it, it either. Wait until the bird enters the cage and when it is entered, close the door softly with the brush. Gently meet whatever arrives with mindful, compassionate care. This is loving presence. This is the essence of Apamata. And then that beautiful section of, then erase all the bars one by one, taking care not to touch any of the bird's feathers. The illusory boundaries, see, begin to disappear without disturbing one bit of your Buddha nature, without disturbing the feathers. Then paint a portrait of the tree, he says, choosing the most beautiful of branches for the bird, the foliage, and he begins to talk about what to paint because a new vision of what life can be begins to emerge. <clears throat> the new possibility. And it's nothing other than life as it is. It's just your life. It's not extraordinary. And then wait for the bird to start to sing, he says. We just listen to the snippet of the song of awakening. If a bird doesn't sing, it may be a bad sign that the painting's not quite right. We just live our way deeper and deeper into our practice over time. Sometimes we hear the song, sometimes we don't. Just continue. And at the end, that interesting turn, so it's this, <clears throat> if the bird sings, it's a good sign, a sign that you can sign. So very gently, pull out one of the bird's feathers and write your name in the corner of the painting. You know that beautiful Thich Nhat Hanh line about there's no way to peace Peace is the way. It's just the, the living is the way. You aren't, you aren't trying to create 
This is Dogen's practice enlightenment that practices the expression of enlightenment, not an activity to attain enlightenment. This is what Donna was saying the other day. You are not it. It actually is you. I am that. At the end, as you write your name, you're realizing, oh, all of this is, is who and what I am in the world when I'm freed up from, from the cage, freed up from the striving. So the, the poem, I mean, we could go into more detail, but I think it's just so beautiful about what it invites in, the, in this imagery. It echoes the favorite word of Suzuki Roshi in practice, constancy, where he said, I think we quoted it recently, he, in his writing, he said, I've always said that you must be very patient if you want to understand Buddhism. It's like waiting for the bird, you know? But I've been seeking a better word than patience, he said. The usual translation of the Japanese word nin is patience, but perhaps constancy is a better word. Sometimes you have to force yourself to be patient, but in constancy, there's no effort. There's only the unchanging ability to accept things as they are. So constancy. There's a beautiful book, if you've not seen it, by Norman Fisher, uh, Sailing Home, in which he uses uh, Homer's uh, Odyssey as a way to teach the Dharma. And in it, he says, most of us are too impatient to wait. We can sit still. <clears throat> we can't sit still for it and rush forward with more plans and schemes and actions of all sorts. And I would say parenthetically and miss that door that Claudine was talking about. Sometimes we are willing to wait, but we don't know how. Real waiting requires that we drop all goals and plans and be willing to sit at the edge of our seats. That's kind of what we're doing when we sit at Sazen, sitting on the edge of our seats, alert and aware, pregnant with anticipation, but not anticipation for something. Waiting becomes this paradox. We're waiting, but not for something. We're waiting for nothing. And most of this, most of us find this intolerable, impossible. Uh, Simon Veil, um, who's the great prophet of waiting, <laughs> she said, there's a special way of waiting upon truth, setting our hearts upon it, yet not allowing ourselves to go out in search of it. It's, just, it's the same, same imagery here. There's a way of waiting when we're writing, for example, for the right word to come of itself at the end of our pen while we merely reject all inadequate words. And she called this waiting for nothing at all, waiting for God in her, her imagery. So there's kind of a, a waiting, but... And, and then, oddly, Norman Fisher, in reflecting on her writings, said, I think she may have been thinking of the prophet Isaiah who wrote, they who wait for God will find renewed strength as eagles grow new plumes. More feathers. <laughs> as eagles grow new plumes, they shall run and not grow weary, march and not grow faint. They'll continue, as Emily Dickinson was talking about. Uh, 
So one last little bit, because this leads us into what I would call the practice of forbearance, of hanging in there. And Norman Fisher, speaking of the image of Proteus in the Odyssey, um, the background is not crucial so much, but um, he says, the practice of forbearance is my favorite spiritual discipline. Though it is not very popular or exciting, forbearance is the greatest of all spiritual qualities. Because without it, all of the good qualities, intentions, insight, and powers will be wiped away as soon as the first challenge, and he lists many of them, appear in the vicinity. You can be strong, intelligent, kind, say your prayers every day, meditate till your legs fall off. You can have beautiful spiritual experiences, meet God face to face, serve your neighbor with compassion and zeal. You can be creative and talented in many ways, but if you're not ready and able to hang in there when conditions suddenly and fiercely change, then your spiritual practice, wherever devoted or brilliant it may be, is in the final analysis pretty useless. It's the changes, the constant shifts, the sudden reversals that prove us. To practice forbearance is to appreciate and celebrate the heart's vulnerability. And to see that the slicing and piercing of the heart does not require defense, that the heart's vulnerability is a good thing. Because this makes us more peaceful and more real. If we're willing to hang on as we feel fear and our grief and our shame without running away or being hurled off. And then finally, he says, forbearance is simply holding on steadily with whatever it is that unexpectedly arises. Not doing something, fixing everything. Just holding on for dear life. Holding on to what comes is what makes life dear. Holding on for dear life. Holding on to what comes is what makes life dear. So Claudine, thank you so much for your help, for your participation, for your beautiful voice and your teachings. You're very welcome. And I, I appreciate you speaking of the uh, Swiss Sangha too. Because it'll be an invitation for others. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to hear from anybody else uh, with all of this that you can tell it's been moving in me um, very, very energetically. Um, what questions do you have or interesting uh, reactions that might be moving in you as a result of all this? How does that inform your practice? Yay, Donna. Some of you might not know that Donna actually taught French in school. <laughs> for a while before the Hakomi world. Yeah. Isn't that true, Donna? That's true. C'est vrai. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, I just want to share something because remembering that that poem and, and you and I used it once in a conference in Paris, I think. Paris, yeah. Uh, you know, one of my favorite children's books and, and some of the rest of you might know this 
is um, came to mind as you were as we were listening to it. It's Harold and the Purple Crayon. <laughs> Do you know Harold and the Purple Crayon? I know. I have read it since my children, who are in their forties, were little, and now my grandkids. And it's it's so delightful. It's you know I'm going to read you two pages of it, the Good. beginning and the, and then I'll read you the last page. So one evening. Harold had a purple crayon. One evening, he decided to go for a walk in the moonlight. But there wasn't any moon, so he drew a moon. <laughs> Harold needed a moon for a walk in the moonlight, and he needed something to walk on. And all the way through, Harold is creating his life with his purple crayon. He goes for a long walk. He he decides to go into a forest. He, so he needs to draw a tree. It's it's just a delightful. This guy Crockett Johnson wrote half a dozen books about Harold and the Purple Crayon. And it finishes after his long walk. He finds his home. He he, he couldn't find his house after the long walk, but he remembered that his bedroom window was always right around the moon. The moon was what he saw in his bedroom window. So he drew a window with the moon in it and then there was his bed. Right. And so then so then he made his bed. He made his bed. He got in the bed and he drew up the covers. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, he dropped off to sleep. He dropped the purple crayon and he dropped off to sleep. What's so beautiful about it that that fits for me with a lot of what you're talking about today is the simplicity of it and the reminder of how much not only are we uh, offered these doors, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we have we have creativity as one of our gifts. Yeah. And and so we participate and we actually create our reality that way. And and my grandchildren love it. They mm -hmm. love this little simple story about Harold and the purple crayon. So that I just wanted to share that in case there's grandparents out there or parents, <laughs> because well, I think it's just one of these. Sometimes children's books have the the most amazing wisdom. Absolutely, and that one is so perfect with this. You know, but it gives that beautiful uh, teaching, like you're saying to the, the kids of your imagination and your creativity, you can create your world. And then, of course, later on, we get them in therapy or in practice and, oh, you see the world they've created? And then <laughs> make some little changes, you know. Right. I think the, you know, the the journey when we're working with anybody or our own journey, healing journey, call it, is is really not only noticing what we've created, but remembering that that what what else we can create, what else is possible, is vast and unlimited. Right, and, and that's and my that's... message today. Exactly that that mm -hmm. there's so much possibility. Mm -hmm. We soften our attachment to what we created. We think is so solid. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that. I'm going to have to get that book now. That's a good one. Yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful little series, but the first one is is the most delightful. Harold and the Purple Crayon. Great. Thank you very much.
Hi, Flint. Thank you so much for for all of that. Um, I loved in the um, the poem the erasing of the bars. That yeah. just that was so powerful and um, hopeful, you know, because the painter can do that. Yes, we can do that too. Exactly. And um, relating to my life right now, um, what I've been doing in my home here. It's just I just want more space, which means I have to remove a lot of stuff. And um, it's amazing the um, how joyful that is to have. Th there's a, a spot um, on my terrace and in the apartment where I couldn't see the beauty of what was on the terrace from the apartment because of it was all sorts of stuff. And I removed it and I go, oh, now I can see. And by what you've removed what's that the more expansive vision because of something you've removed exactly how it goes in our life you know yeah you can see when you have space mm -hmm. so um yeah that's a little of erasing erasing the bars of stuff and, yeah. and clutter the image is so good isn't it <clears throat> beautiful beautiful yeah and very unexpected there were so many unexpected things in the poem Hanging the picture on the tree. Mm -hmm. um, all, all these, it was beautiful. Thank, thank you, Claudine, for the beautiful reading and absolutely, and Flint for choosing it. Thanks. I want to, um, I want to do something uh, a little bit different. Also, right now, I'm just it's coming to mind. Is um, is Kathy and Mom? Are they there? What I was just thinking especially when I read that part from the, the French, um, the person about um, a special kind of waiting, which she called waiting on God. One of the things that it made me think of is um, I think one of the gifts, Mother, that you have given us is that kind of uh, steadiness that I was, re uh, I was talking about that your your capacity to not be tremendously reactive when difficult things happen and your steadiness of just continuing and i think it's one of the great gifts that you gave us maybe you learned it by teaching first grade for so long and having to deal with so many so many things um you know when i was a kid and we would sit in church and i was not happy waiting on the pew or whatever, but there was something that there's something that was being taught in that to be silent and to be still and to wait and for something to come. So I just wanted to thank you for your teaching about perseverance and constancy, um, uh, because that's you know I know about our lives and I know many of the things that you've had to to move through and even moving through aging now, hanging in there and. You keep on going with a, uh, a pretty good attitude. And then, of course, the immense um, generosity of Kathy to be there and to embody that same willingness to uh, be steady in the midst of uh, all the changes, both uh, at home with you and challenges with other parts of her family.
with Jacob. And I just have a lot of uh, appreciation for the two of you around these qualities. So I, I wanted to say that in public. Thank I you. honor you deeply and love you. Love you too. Does that make sense? What I said, Kathy, about this that quality of steadiness. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you. I just wanted to bring you up. You don't have to say anything particular unless you want to, but I wanted to say that to you. Um, I do have one thing to say that I was thinking about. Um, I'll send you the picture. I actually posted it on Instagram, uh, my art page, uh, which is about flying and birds and other things um and it does have a little emily dickinson piece in it which i don't normally use words but i found it when i was moving the studio i made it quite a while ago um and it is unusual because it's it's doesn't have color it's black and white oh. and i don't usually uh work in that monochrome monotone kind of a thing so i've been thinking about it a lot and i'm like I'm send him to that send him that when i'm when we're done, but um, yeah, since I'm here, I'll just mention it. So yeah, we'll have to look on Instagram for Kathy Sparks and see what she's put up there. C Sparks 2018. <laughs> yeah, synchronicities happen as we know. So I know they're happening, including you're clearing out things like Rosemarie was talking about. Yes. Yes. Yep. Finding all kinds of things. <laughs> I know. Right. Thank you. Love you. Hey, you too. Love you. It's like Sheila has her hand up. I want to make sure we get to hear her before we finish. You're still muted there, Sheila, but there you go. Okay. Now you got you. Uh, I didn't want to interrupt, but you opened the door and I want to walk into it because I got to meet your mother yesterday. You did? I was in her, with her and Kathy's home for a book club meeting. And I asked to meet your mother, and I can sense that steadiness and constancy. She was reading, but she managed to envelop me and embrace me and keep on reading. And Kathy is really there too. Bless mm -hmm. her heart. Oh, and the whole family. I'm so glad y'all came into my life. Well, thank, thank you God. for opening that loop. And there. you're such an example of appreciating our parents in their roles in our life. Thank you, Flynn. Of course. Well, they're remarkable women and it's important for them to be acknowledged as such, you know. <clears throat> I know it isn't, uh, restricted to this, but I think she, there's still something about Southern women recognizing each other too, you know, in a certain way. That may be recognized even from England. Here's Josh and Trudy, you know. A little um, self-indulgent, so I hope people will forgive me, but so often when you give a um, a talk, I've, there's something I've written that feels like it's got the echo. So, love it. Um, this, this, uh, they never have names. Oh, this one's called, this one is, um, there's an entryway into our own mysterious lives, lives we cannot begin to fully comprehend either forwards or backwards. 
We do not understand why someone might love us when we ourselves know only too well how deeply flawed we are, even as we strive and long for the perfection we deem so necessary. There is an entryway into the mysterious life of the world, even as our life in the world seems like a crazy, chaotic ride in a coach of fools driven by a blind man. That's my life anyway. <laughs> what is this entryway? It's the door you walk past swiftly, nervously, eyes turned away, trying not to feel the chill breath that seeps out of the cracks. What is this entryway that we shy away from? It's the doorway of our own tender body and heart. It's our death and the death of everything that we hold dear, or maybe even hate, that walks alongside us always. Crossing this dire threshold, we can truly begin to live our lives most fully. Take a moment, stop, look, reach out a trembling hand, hold close to a dear one, feel the cold metal of the terrifying doorknob, turn it and look inside to the infinity of darkness. Let us hold hands and fall together into our own lives and into the end of everything. Thank you. You always have the most beautiful thing that pulls these things together. It's incredible. Well, thank, thank you, you very, thank you very, very much. You've offered me so. Well, it uh, seems to uh, run among us. I mean, both of you were in Switzerland the first time I used that poem, and then you used it recently. I think, didn't you, Josh? You brought the recording of the talk. We played your uh, final uh, talk in Switzerland at uh, Nothing Missing in, in two parts. Yeah. It's, um, it's really beautiful and touching. Could you understand me? I was weeping most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you and Sophie. <laughs> uh, uh, well. I think we all were that yeah. day. We all were. Yeah. It's so nice to hear these weavings and to hear Claudine's voice and everyone's voice. And uh, thank you all for your your presence. Let's uh, <clears throat> complete with our four practice principles. And caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you. <clears throat> and thank you, Jessica, for helping us out today. Thank you, Flint. Thank you, everyone. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and your support makes a huge difference. 
there's a link for contributions on the website and I'll place it here in the chat and you can contribute to Appamata or to Flint directly or to any of our teachers. Um, and I hope that you'll stay afterwards here for a chat on the porch with Maria. Thank you.